Back in 2013, a group of students at Arizona State University who were huge basketball fans wanted to do something to revitalize the student section at home games. They felt it was kind of lackluster, wasn't offering a whole lot of energy. So they wanted to do something to kind of ramp things up a little bit. And so they came up with this idea called the Curtain of Distraction. It looks like this. Here's a picture of, of basically the curtain that they made. And, and here's how it works. Behind the goal where the visiting team is shooting, uh, these guys stand with the curtain and just this makeshift curtain as you can see. And, and when the opposing team gets ready to shoot free throws, the curtain opens. They'll, they'll wait until they're about to shoot free throws and then the curtain opens. And it could be a number of different, they've, they've had a whole bunch of different things, but it could be things like an Elvis impersonator. They had that one time. Uh, it could be a cowboy on a cow. It might be a doctor wanting your physical. It might be a clown jumping rope. Or even one time, it was Michael Phelps. They actually got Michael Phelps to come, and he wore all of his gold medals around his neck. And, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite, a, quite an adventure, quite a, quite a sight to see if you've ever seen it uh, on TV or seen pictures of it as I just showed you. Now you might think that this is just some college guys having fun and, and certainly it, it was that and that's probably how it started. But the funny thing is that it actually worked. So they ran studies and, and you know, ran all the, the numbers on it and crunched the numbers on, on, uh, uh, the stats, I should say, on, on what the free throw percentage was like. And what they found is that leading up to, in the couple years before the curtain of distraction, they found that opposing teams shot or missed about 30% of their free throws. But since the curtain of distraction, when the teams are shooting towards the goal with the curtain, uh, they miss about, they saw it, it's a rather significant increase, up to about 40%. So 10% increase in shots missed. And in a basketball game, as many of you sports fans know, a couple points here, a couple points there can make all of the difference. And so the point is, though, it worked. The, the distraction worked. It got in their heads and they, and they, and they lost focus. And, and that's what distraction does. Distraction keeps us from being able to focus on what really matters and what really counts. And that's why we've been in this series during the month of January called What Counts? As we're just really diving into God's Word. It's not a long series, but diving into God's Word to see what, what does God have to say about what really counts. But I, because I would contend that for us as Christians, the struggle is not intentional wickedness. I, I think the struggle is intentional, or excuse me, unintentional wastefulness. It's not that we wake up in the morning and, and we want to do evil. It's that we wake up in the morning without really any real sense of purpose or intentionality about doing what really counts and what really matters. And so we drift. We drift into mediocrity. We drift into habits that are just kind of there. You see, it really matters that we stay focused on what really matters. I want to give you a question that I heard recently that I think is a good question for us to start every day with. And it's a very simple question. Here it is. What is the very best use of me? Just a simple question, just to ask yourself. Today, what is the very best use of me? I think we would manage our life and our time and our resources a whole lot better if we would ask ourselves that question 
more often? What is the very best use of me? Because if we're not intentional, life will cause us to drift into making really big investments of our time and our energy into causes that really in the end count for very little. You probably heard the phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But that doesn't help if you don't really know what the main thing is. And so that's where God's word helps. He helps to show us what is the main thing. Because as we close our What Counts series, we're going to close with perhaps what is the best count verse of all. It's very simple. Here's the main thing. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That nothing counts more than love. There's no better use of you than to love well. In fact, any use of you disconnected from love really is a waste. Now, I know that sounds like a strong statement, but I didn't say it first. Listen to Paul in one of the best known chapters in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is how it starts. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. In other words, he's saying nothing counts without love. You may be very articulate. You may be able to speak so powerfully. But if you do it without love, it doesn't count. You may be so intelligent, so smart. You may be a theological genius possessing great spiritual knowledge. But if you know without love, it doesn't count. Your faith literally may make immovable things move. But if they move for any reason besides love, it doesn't count. You could be so philanthropic. You could be known for how much you give to charity. But if you had any other motive but love, doesn't count. Even if you give your body as a sacrifice without love, doesn't count. What you say, what you know, what you believe, what you give, what you do only counts if it's motivated by love. And again, I know that sounds extreme because surely, right, surely, we, we think surely it counts for the people that, 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 that I'm helping, right? But from heaven's perspective, no credit is given. Here's how heaven does math. It's simple. Anything minus love equals nothing. That's how heaven does math. If you live an unloving life, then you have lived a wasted life. That's why Paul would say, starting in the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, let love be your highest goal. This, this is the very best use of you. And Paul didn't just get it from out of nowhere. He didn't just get it from out of thin air. He got it from Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, a lawyer came to Jesus one time and he said, okay, there's so much to know, so many rules, so many commandments, which one counts most? And Jesus didn't say, well, they all count the same, right? They're all, they're all the same. Not to say that, you know, some are less important. Jesus didn't say that, that they all count the same. Here's what he says. He says, here's the most important. Again, not to say that others aren't important, but he says, here's what's most important. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In other words, here's what counts. Love God. Love people. That's, that's what really counts. That's what really matters. And it's not just in principle, right? It's not just saying it or, or, or even knowing it, but it's, it's actually living it out. It's putting it into practice. That's what counts because we can talk a good game, but what counts is when love hits the streets. It's like the husband who said to his wife, honey, I love you so much. I would die for you. And the wife said, you're always saying that, but you never do it. What matters and what counts is what we do. Love that counts is a verb. And a love as a verb is easiest to see when it's hardest to do. Here's why. Because love that counts loves when it's most difficult. Goal. Difficult. Love that counts loves when it's most difficult. Reminds me of the story I heard about an airline ticket agent. Uh, all the flights had been canceled at the airport that she was working at. And, and so she, there was just this long line of people, right, who were trying to get their, their flights rescheduled. And in this line, uh, the next guy that comes up, he is just irate. He's frustrated. He needs to get where he's going. He's got to make it to New York, and, and he's got to be there at, at a certain time. And he is just mad. He's frustrated. He is taking it out on this woman. She has nothing to do with his dilemma, right? She, she can't affect the weather, but she is the object of his frustration and and yet through it all she's just kind of staying calm he's spewing anger on her and frustration on her she's staying calm and collected and and she's still kind to him as even as as mean as he's being to her but there's really nothing she could do to to help his situation at the at the moment and so finally he just stomped off right and so there's a guy next in line who's watching all of this watching how the guy's treating her watching how the lady is responding and so he goes up and he's just very impressed with her and he says I just want you to know uh, how impressed I am with how you handled that guy you know you, you, he treated you with such venomous anger and frustration and yet through it all you were just kind and compassionate and loving towards him what is your secret and she just smiled and said it's simple that man's going to new york and i just sent his luggage to mexico city you see i think if i asked us myself included how are we doing on the love report card we'd all give ourselves a pretty good grade but here's the thing we we often give ourselves too much credit for a kind of love really doesn't take all that much effort. You see, most love is really an investment. There's something about you that's lovely. There's something about you that encourages me, that fills me, that rewards me. In other words, I love you some because I love me more, if we're just being honest. And Jesus said, it shouldn't come as a surprise, that love doesn't count for very much. He put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you only love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus says there's a kind of love out there that even the most basic person is capable of. They're far from God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And yet they can, they can love the kind of love that gets them something in return. They, they can do that. Everybody can do that. But Jesus said that doesn't count. That, 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 that's, not, uh, that's not the truest form of love that I'm trying to paint this picture of you, uh, of for you. Because it's not really loving in the end. That, that kind of love isn't really loving. It's bargaining. It's, I will love you if. 
if you're always kind to me, if you stay pretty, if you stay successful, if you never hurt me, if you do this for me, if you don't do that to me. But Jesus says love that counts isn't based on the return you get on the investment. Love that counts most is a love that loves not if, but even if. Because that's the way God loves. You see, oftentimes, again, if, if we're just being honest, we, we like to talk about these things and we like to paint a, a picture of ourselves that is, that is way more lofty than it actually is. Because if we're just being honest with ourselves, we've all got a list, right? And it may not be a literal list like you wrote it down. Maybe you do. Hopefully you don't. But, but we've all got a list nonetheless of certain people that we love. And again, it's, you know, we like to think that we're, but if we're just being real honest, we're just being real genuine, it's really easy to leave certain people or certain types of people off of our list. But God doesn't do lists. God doesn't do that. God doesn't love people because of who they are. God loves people because of who he is. His love isn't based in our nature. It's based in his character. That's why we can count on it. So Jesus says there's a love out there that counts because it doesn't go out reacting to people, seeing what they give back. But it's a love that goes out reflecting who God is and how he has loved us. And so you see, that's why we don't view love as an investment. In fact, just three verses later in Luke chapter 6, in verse 35, Jesus put it like this. You can love your enemies. You can love the people that you don't want to put on the list. You can do that. You can do good to them and you can lend to them without expecting to be repaid because your love is not an investment. And then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You see, love that counts doesn't come with qualifiers. And, and it's actually liberating because you don't have to, you, you are freed. You're not burdened anymore by the, you know, deciding who you're going to love. You're freed from that burden. You don't have to spend any time and waste any mental energy deciding if you can love anybody. Some of you <clears throat> know that I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of cats. I don't hate cats, but I'm much more of a dog person. And sometimes I make jokes about people that, that love cats. But I'm going to say something nice about cats. Okay, you ready? We need to love as non-discriminatory as cats treat people. Okay? You take the, the, the way cats treat people, okay? We need to love as non-discriminatory as cats treat people. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Cats don't dislike you because you're a liberal or a conservative. Cats don't dislike you because of your ethnicity. Cats don't dislike you because you're rich or you're poor or you're old or you're young. A cat just dislikes you because you're a person, right? Cats are just non-discriminatory about whom they dislike. Cats just dislike everybody equally. And so in all seriousness, okay, flip it around, right? You got, I'm trying to point out the non-discriminatory part, so just bear with me. But in all seriousness, when we start to understand what God's love is like, we love like that. It's, it's non-discriminatory. It's not based on who the person is. It's based in who God 
is. Now, in our minds, again, we all love like this. In our minds, we think, well, I don't do bad to anybody. I, I, I don't put down anybody. But Jesus didn't say, don't do bad to them. What did Jesus say? Do good to them. And, and again, it's not just in principle. It's not just in, in, in talking about it. But it's, it's about getting down onto the streets where people are and loving people where they are. Let me show you a picture. You may not recognize this, uh, this, this picture, but I'm guessing that you will recognize his name when I tell you. This, this man's name uh, is Henry, Dr. Henry Heimlich. He passed away several years ago at the age of, of 96, but he was the doctor who came up with what is known as the Heimlich Maneuver, of course, where you, you, know, you come up from behind someone who's choking and you, with a pretty good thrust, thrust into their, their abdomen, hopefully what they had blocking their airway comes, comes spilling out, comes you know, shooting out. I don't know how you want to describe it, but it comes out. That's, that's the point. And since its, incep since its inception in 1974, it's credited with saving countless Lives, But here's the rest of the story. Uh, Dr. Heimlich passed away in December of 2016. In May of that year, May of 2016, before he passed, one day he was having lunch with a woman at the assisted living place where he lived before he, he passed away. And the woman started to choke. And so Dr. Heimlich got up and he used his own maneuver on this woman and a piece of meat with a bone in it came dislodged from her throat that was blocking her airways and he literally saved her life here's the crazy thing that was the first time he had ever used his own maneuver to save someone's life first time you see we're really good at talking about what love ought to look like but jesus says love that counts is a verb and one thing that holds us back sometimes is this thought process that we say, well, yeah, but if I actually do good to people who are hard to love, they're not going to appreciate it. They're not, they're not going to respond in, in, in necessarily in a positive way. And it would not be a good use of me because it would be a waste. But think about it. Is it ever a waste to treat people like Jesus did? You think about Jesus and Judas. Was it a waste for Jesus to love Judas like he did for three years, spend all of that time with him. Was it a waste on the night before Jesus was, was put on a cross and died? Was it a waste for him to wash Judas's feet? Was that a poor use of Jesus? I would argue, no, it wasn't at all. It's never a waste to love like God loves. Because you are offering that love at the very least, which ought to be the very most, you are offering that love to God as an act of worship. And it's giving evidence that the, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is in control of your life because that kind of love is, is not natural. It's a supernatural kind of love. It's what Paul means when he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, For we know how dearly, love, dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And what God does is he pours his love into our hearts. And his love is so immense and so enormous. And he gives it so intentionally, generously that it just kind of overflows and it pours out of us and into the lives of others. And nothing counts more than this. The very best use of me is to love you. 
The very best use of you is to love the people around you. But here's the problem. We're all nodding our heads in agreement and saying, yeah, that's right. I know that's right. We believe it. But then we drift. We drift into patterns that offer the best of us to things that count for so little. And I think the chief reason for that is because we're living on empty more than we often realize. You know, God has poured his love into our hearts, and yet for so many of us, we don't know what to do with unconditional love. We don't know how to receive it because we don't really experience it a whole lot in the world around us, and maybe we've never really even had it at all in our lives. And and so we just take it, and we kind of put it aside in this little compartment. We kind of close it up, and and it's over here, and we we, we intellectually know that God loves us, but but it's just kind of over here in, in, in a little compartment. And And we've still got this empty heart and it wants to be filled. And so we go out giving our best to something or someone that will try to fill that void in our heart. Because if God's love isn't absolute, then you will go out looking for a substitute. And we go out looking for love in all the wrong places because we live in a world that trades for love. And it's so hard for us to grasp the one truth that counts more than any other. That you can always count on God's love. We experience so much conditional love that it's just hard for us to count on any other kind of love. And so you hear me preach and you know in your mind and you think in your head, I know God loves me. But then you also think, but God would love me more if. God would love me more if I hadn't done that. God would love me more if I had done this in my past. God would love me more if I, if I didn't do this or if I did do that. But listen to me, you, you can't start doing anything. You can't stop doing anything that would make God love you more than he already does. The reason his love never fails is because it was never based in your nature. It's always been based in his nature. And this is so important. This is so different from from how the world works. In the world, people love, we love because we deem that other people are worthy of our love. But God's love, God doesn't love you because you are worthy. You see, God's love wasn't created by your worth. God's love is what creates your worth. Now, no doubt, there's probably some things that you need to change. There's, there's some changes that you need to make in your life. And, and, and saying that God loves us doesn't mean that everything we do, we get a pass on because of God's love. That, that's not what, what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus would say. God still calls us to be holy, as we talked about last week. But there's nothing you can start doing or stop doing that's going to make God love you anymore. But no doubt, again, there are some things that that you need to to stop doing. You need to start doing. But even if you do or don't make those changes, nothing changes about the most important truth, the one that counts more than any other. 
you can always count on God's love. And perhaps the reason why this is so hard for us to get is because it's spiritual warfare. I mean, we are battling a lie of the enemy, a lie that is sown so deep into us that we don't even realize how deep it is and how hard it is to expel it. But, you know, when you read through Scripture, it's interesting that you see prayer after prayer and, 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 and command after command for us to just learn this one thing, the truth that you can count on God's love. Like that 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. It's not that God doesn't already love you. That's not what, what Paul is saying here. But your heart has a hard time believing it sometimes, doesn't it? And so you need to allow your heart to be led into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. Or in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, one of my favorite verses. May you have the power to understand. That power comes from God and he will give you that power. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. It's wide enough to include everybody. It's long enough to last every day. It's deep enough to cover everything. Or, and it's high enough to be everywhere. And we will always struggle to do what counts most until we begin to count most on the love of God. You see, it really matters what you think really matters. There's a well-known Christian author named Philip Yancey. Some of you maybe have heard of him. And he's kind of described himself um, as kind of a melancholy soul. And, and so he's got books that he's written like uh, Disappointment with God. And, 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 and he's just very real and honest. And I appreciate that about him. But, but he really just kind of lays out his own disappointments, his own disillusionment in his life with God and, and, and how he's kind of um, dealt with that. And it's just really real and, and honest. And I appreciate that. But one time he was on his way to a conference and uh, there was a five-hour delay at the airport he was at. And there was another woman who was going to the same conference. And they began to talk and uh, kind of chatted for a while. And it began, Philip Yancey kind of began to describe to her just those thoughts and those feelings that he's had in his life. The disillusionment and the disappointments in his faith and his struggles with faith. And, and she listened to him for, for a long time. And then this wise woman just kind of stopped him. And, and she asked him such a penetrating question that I think is such a good question for all of us to ask ourselves. But she asked him this, Philip, do you ever just let God love you? Do you ever just let God love you? She said, it's pretty important, I think. And Philip Yancey, this acclaimed author and, and writer, here's what he said. In not talking about this story. He said, it brought a light to this gaping hole in my soul. For all my absorption in the Christian faith, I had missed the most important message of all, that the story of Jesus is a story of the celebration of love. And some of you need to do the one thing that counts more than anything else. You need to let God love you. You need to do what the brother of Jesus said in Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourself in God's love 
He's not saying that, that you can fall out of God's love or that God, there's anything you can do that God's going to love you less. But he's saying that you just, it's up to you to begin to just live and to continue to live in the constant confidence that God loves you. Stay there. Live there. It will bring the best out of you. And you will be able to give the best of you to what really counts.